Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. It's May 8th, 2022, and I'm D-Vase, and I'm joined by Al. Yeah, welcome back, D-Vase. Um, and we're going to get this going for this week. I've got um, a couple of things in the introduction here. We're back at it again, looking at an action-packed week in the world of Mormonism. We'll discuss two LDS hate crimes that occurred this week. A BYU professor seeming to endorse white supremacy. Brad Wilcox, maturation class in Utah elementary schools. That's been very controversial around the state. And episode three of Under the Banner of Heaven came out this week, so you don't want to miss it. We're going to go over all of that. Um, I'm going to give a quick, uh, uh, or, um, quick uh, call out to our sponsor, Signature Books. We'd like to thank them for partnering with us. They're committed to expanding the scope of Mormon studies and to enhance opportunities for creative and scholarly expression. Signature champions works that are honest, thoughtful, and grounded in the best critical thinking that emphasize human experience and intellect, that advocate civil discourse, that engage and challenge, and that encourage new ways of approaching the past, present, and future. So thank you very much for Signature Books. Uh, You can uh, go to SignatureBooks.com and uh, learn all about them, and we're very happy to have them join with us. Um, A couple other things I'm going to pitch out here as well is um, our own website is up and running www.mormonnewsroundup.org so there's a double n in there don't forget that um, if you want to send any emails to us you can email us directly at kolob k-o-l-o-b at mormonnewsroundup.org again double n's in there our twitter feed we've got our twitter up and running we are uh, at newsmormon so you can follow us on twitter as well and also, we've got uh, a new Patreon up. So if you want to go and uh, get a little bit of insight to myself and DVs, a little uh, bit of our personal histories, we've got a couple of episodes up there that you can sponsor us and get some, uh, some uh, easy access and early access to a little deep dive on Al and DVs. And that's uh, over at patreon.com forward slash Mormon News Roundup. Um, we've also got a Facebook page where Facebook Mormon News Roundup and a YouTube channel uh, that we're starting up here. So you can uh, go and find us on uh, YouTube. All of this will be in the show notes. And uh, so you'll be able to get to all of that. And then we've got some follow ups from last week. Divas, you want to go ahead and do our follow ups? You betcha. So some follow ups. So thanks for that intro, Al. Some follow ups from last week. We talked about who the most. Powerful ex-Mormon was in the world. And um, that was in regards to whether it was uh, Dustin Lance Black, who is the showrunner of Under the Banner of Heaven and also the producer of Big Love and some other big time Hollywood uh, shows. Or, Al, you postulated that it might be Tom Hanks. And I went back and looked it up. And according to uh, what I was able to research, Tom Hanks was never a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at at any time. Uh, Some of these celebrities are kind of legendary tales and i think i'm pretty confident saying that he was not a member and you remember uh that tom hanks did criticize members of the church during the proposition 8 california 
you remember the Proposition 8, which was uh, trying to legalize gay marriage in California. He was yeah. criticizing members of the church. He said that uh, Mormons were not American if they supported Proposition 8. And uh, yeah, he's just not a member. So I, I'm still of the opinion that, mm-hmm. I don't know, my opinion has not changed that maybe Dustin Lance Black is the most powerful ex-Mormon in the world. I'm willing to hear anyone's uh, uh, opinion or advice. If you want to uh, let us know who you think it is, then uh, respond to this uh, episode wherever you find it. Uh, send, uh, give us a like while you're at it if you find us on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, we also talked about last week how uh, Warren Jeff's son, whose name is um, Jeffson, uh, was finally uh, able to leave the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And there was a great article about how he was raised in the Yearning for Zion camp in the compound, which was in Texas, that huge uh, compound that they had there, he eventually was able to leave that and he started his own life. And I said that it was very difficult for polygamous communities to get broken up. And I talked about as proof of concept that the Short Creek Raid took place in the 1930s. Actually, I misspoke. The, the, short, the most famous Short Creek Raid took place in 1953, not in 1930. Yeah. And finally, uh, we also talked about last week how there was a the James Huntsman has levied a lawsuit against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints asking for his back tithing, which was several million dollars worth of back tithing. And we talked about that episode. Uh, we talked about that in our last episode, which was episode five. And I talked about how the church bought a, a hundred thousand acre uh, cattle ranch in Florida. And I went back and looked that up as well. And it's actually more like three hundred thousand dollar. Excuse me, three hundred thousand acre ranch in Florida, uh, not a hundred thousand. So yeah, it's a it's a big cattle ranch out there. Now, some uh, before we get into our first article, I also have a couple of things that I want to bring up, and that's some of the music that you hear on our show is brought to you by Weird Alma. And Al, I heard back from Weird Alma this week that he yeah. has given us he's given us the go ahead to use his music in our show. Now, I guess we've been kind of uh, using it without his permission, but he said he was perfectly fine with us using it. Which is great. We That's have that, good. Yes, we have that uh, from, from him in writing, which is very pertinent because our YouTube channel received several copyright strikes as because the music that we're that Weird Almo's music is a parody of the Rolling Stones and some other famous music. And the YouTube algorithm listens to our show on YouTube and realized that the music is very similar to the actual Rolling Stones song Sympathies of Satan even though we're using Weird Al's version of it. So, yeah. Our, yeah, we're getting strikes from YouTube on that, and I'm in the process of fighting those strikes. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll be able to get that worked out, especially now that Weird Alma has given us the go-ahead. And as you said, Al, if you go onto Patreon, and uh, you'll find some back interviews from us if you want to uh, learn more about um, your humble hosts, then feel free to head on over to Patreon. Is there anything else from uh, last week that uh, I haven't brought up, follow-ups? Um, as far as I can tell, I think we've got it all pretty well covered. Uh, so I just want to thank again, uh, Weird Alma, uh, really nice guy. I ha- haven't talked to him personally, but um, when I reached out to the, uh, let's see, was it Bandcamp that I uh, got his music from, um, it, uh, the permission was was pretty explicit there. So we went we went ahead and added it to the uh, podcast. Uh, but uh, just having his uh, support and. Um, the verbal con- or uh, not the verbal consent, but the express consent from him to the he's on board with us using it. Uh, we really appreciate that, and uh, we wish him all the best going forward with this too. 
Yes, as a matter of fact, he released a new album this week, uh, Al, which you should go over and uh, check out. He's got about three or four albums on there. And I just love his music. And so I'm glad that he's a part of our show. That brings us to our first article for this week, which we've got an action-packed episode this week. And we have a Mormon hate crime. And that is not something that you hear very often. This was from the Huffington Post, published on May 2nd, 2022. And it says, Connecticut man accused of setting car on fire because the victim was Mormon. So the police said that the man admitted starting the fire because he didn't agree with the man's religious beliefs. And the fire destroyed a 2022 Chevy Equinox just before 4 o'clock a.m. outside of a multifamily home in Torrington. Witnesses said they saw the man who started a fire near the SUV's gas tank. And if you look at the picture, it's uh, the, the car is basically destroyed. Now, he's been charged with arson, criminal mischief, breach of peace and deprivation of rights, which is a hate crime. And he's being held on a $250,000 bond. Mugshot that you get of this guy. He's got a big smile on his face from LDSDaily.com from attack. See a lot of hate crimes these days with uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Al? Not really, but um, boy, I I, got to say, and this is a little tongue-in-cheek, this is not going to do any wonders for the um, persecution complex of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, you know, I, and, you know, in all seriousness now, no tongue-in-cheek in this, uh, there is no reason to attack people, especially because of their religious beliefs. Uh, do, does this guy say anything about uh, what his motive was, what caused him to take this action? Uh, you know, I read a couple of articles on it. His motive seems to be somewhat unclear. He doesn't like members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that's about it. You know, Al, Al, let me ask you, when you were a missionary, did you receive kind of this kind of persecution? Um, uh, did, were you a persecuted missionary when you were in your mission in Hawaii? Oh, for heaven's sake, Steve, is I think the worst persecution that I received. <laughs> we, um, we were on our bikes uh, in uh, Hawaii, and somebody drove past we heard a honk we heard a shout and then we saw a fish go flying right past our heads it didn't hit us but oh my goodness somebody somebody threw a fish at us while we were standing on the corner waiting to cross the street and um that we watched this fish kind of flop down and i mean it was a dead fish anyway that uh obviously just been fishing and caught something and uh just threw it at us and it so wow. it wasn't alive or flopping, but it just kind of skipped down the road. And we, I looked at my companion and said, you know what, Elder, I think we've just been persecuted. <laughs> and that's the worst that we have, really. So, you know, I didn't receive too much persecution when I was on my mission either. There was one time when someone, uh, when I was bit by a dog, I don't know if you would call that persecution. There was a lot of people who didn't agree with my message and asked me um, not politely to leave, uh, asked me and very were very rude to me. I don't really know if that's a persecution. I did have one person who uh, I knocked on their door out in the middle of nowhere. They asked us to leave, which we did promptly. But he reached behind the door and picked up a shotgun. He did not point it at us. But the point was clear that we were to leave immediately. And believe me, Al, we did leave immediately. So I would, <laughs> I would say that it is pretty rare for uh, even missionaries to be persecuted, which also, I guess, brings me to my last question on this article, is that is members of the Church of Jesus, are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a persecuted sect? You know, uh, any time I talk to uh, a, a true believing Mormon, I find that they feel persecuted and I'm not sure exactly 
why they feel that way. Um, there's some people that uh, I, I'm not sure if they really understand what persecution is. Um, and so I, 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 I'm a little hesitant to say that the Mormon church is a persecuted church, um, especially um, like we were talking about, D-Base. I mean, can you really consider it persecution when it's the missionaries themselves are going up to strange people's doors and knocking on them? Um, I mean, if, if the people take certain extreme efforts, I can understand that. Um, I, and, you know, maybe uh, pulling a shotgun is, uh, is along those same lines. But I don't think that just being told, hey, we don't want to talk to you, get off our property, that's not uh, considered persecution. And I think there's some people out there that do consider that persecution. And it's a little strange, but obviously we condemn this uh, particular case. Uh, missionaries Absolutely. are left alone and they should be able to do their work without fear of uh, anyone molesting them. Um, and anyone lighting their car on fire, that's absolutely outrageous. This person needs to be held to account, and it appears that he is. The real question, though, is, is members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, are they persecuted in a larger capacity? And when I, was, when I tried to look it up, Al, I said, you know, well, how many members of the Church have died as a result of their religion? Because I really think that if you're persecuted, that it really needs to come down to um, some somewhat dire consequences if you want to say that you're a persecuted uh, faith. Yeah, and for, I, and for, I mean, we're, we're talking draw, um, drawing people out into the night and tar and feathering them kind of persecution. Right? That is correct. And yeah. from my humble research, 52 members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been killed in 200 years of uh, the since the religion was founded in 1830. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wonder, does that does that rise to the level of saying, yes, Latter-day Saints are persecuted? Because, you know, it's probably about once, you know, about once every two or three years, very tragically, he dies. Um, the question is, does that rise to the level of it uh, being a persecution? I, I don't know. Um, I, I guess it depends on, are, are they murdered? Are they dying at the hands of somebody else who's, uh, you know, attacking them because of their beliefs? Because I, I, so many missionaries, I mean, there, there's missionaries out there that have accidents or health issues and they die and it happens. But I don't think that just having a missionary go to a, a different place than their home and dying constitutes persecution by any means. That seems pretty fair. But what is crazy about this week is I, it's been a long time since I've even heard of a hate crime against a Latter-day Saint. And we have two of them this week. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, it is that is really crazy. And you know, my little tongue in cheek thing. I really don't want to be uh, insensitive at all. I mean, I'm I'm saying this um, with the understanding that these missionaries are fine. Nobody was actually hurt. Um, and I mean, this, this the fact that this guy is so proud of himself in his mugshot. That's what leads me to say, well, this is not going to do wonders for the persecution complex of the church. But um, yeah, th- I, I am very glad that everybody's okay in this situation, um, s- save the loss of the car. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and what's <laughs> happening with the second? We got two hate crimes in one week. This is unprecedented. What's happening with the second uh, hate crime? Um, you know what? I, I, uh, what was that second hate crime? Because I, I didn't. Now, uh, I that's didn't, the, uh, read the, that the self. The, no, the second article here uh, to refresh your memory, Al, was published on May fifth, twenty twenty two, from the Standard Examiner, and that's the title of the article is "Self Defense Argued for Man Accused of Attacking Son." Oh, 
that one. <laughs> okay. Right. Second, this one. Okay. So this can can we consider this a hate crime? I was. Well, he is. You know, he, sure. I absolutely consider this a hate crime. He is attacking another person specifically over that person's religion, and and and, and by any reasonable definition, that would be considered a hate crime. Absolutely. So um, I guess this one, the tables turn on us uh, uh, because, I, yeah, I, okay, now I'm on board with you, Divas, because <laughs> this one, yeah, Standard Examiner, uh, Ogden, Utah, a gentleman by the name of Scott Keith Warner. So um, he, let me just uh, tell the listener what happened in this story, okay? So uh, on August 21st, 2020, in Ogden, Utah, uh, Mr. Warner sat down with his 18-year-old son. They were discussing uh, the, the expectations that this son would serve a mission. The son um, became belligerent and, re- and really defiant, De- um, was very insistent he wasn't going to serve a mission. So the dad, um, I, I don't know if this happened in the, in the uh, communal part of the house, but I mean, what happens after happens in the, the boy's bedroom? So dad went in, talked to the son, and uh, they're sitting on the bed, and it gets heated. The son's insistent he's not going on a mission. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it, doesn't want to be a part of it. Uh, the dad, uh, tensions rise, and the dad uh, insists that, yes, he expects his son to serve a mission. And if he's not going to serve a mission, then he's going to throw him out of the house. So the son gets up, the, sad, the dad gets up, and from... Here's where, here's where it gets a little fuzzy, okay? Uh, it's a he said, he said situation. So the son, I'm going to give his story first, mostly because he's an 18-year-old kid, okay? I mean, I guess an 18-year-old kid's considered an adult, but he's also the child in this situation. I mean, the dad's 51 years old. The dad's the responsible party. He really should have been in better control of himself. Okay, so the son's version is that the dad uh, hits him, knocks him to the ground, and uh, starts beating his head into the wall and then starts putting his hands around his throat to choke him. Um, and so then the, we'll get the dad's version of what happened. Dad says that the son threw the first punch and uh, that the dad was in fear for his life. So there is the, the defense is arguing that it was self-defense because that the dad was just trying to uh, preserve his own life. He was really concerned that the son was going to do him mortal harm. So uh, the dad began fighting with the son, uh, hit him to, you know, tried to grab the kid's arms to, you know, keep him from attacking him. um, And really was just motivated to get the son out of his house because, well, it's his house. So he was kind of going with the castle doctrine there that the dad didn't need to retreat. If the son was not happy there, then he needed to be the one to leave. So he was going to throw this um, what unwanted uh, being out of his house. Um, and he, uh, so he was grabbing the kid wherever he could grab him. And I guess at some point he put his hands around the kid's throat to, to get him out of the house. Um, and so he's facing um, two third degree felonies for this. The dad is. The son's not being charged, but the dad's being charged with aggravated assault and domestic violence in the presence of a child. Now, they don't it's not necessarily that they consider an 18 year old son to be the child. They might do. But 
um, you know, from my limited understanding of, of how the court system works and how crime works is if you commit a crime in a house where a child can either hear it or see it, then it's uh, another crime to do a, to commit a crime in the presence of a, a child. Right. So, so, I mean, both of both of these hate crimes, which seem to be very pretty well substantiated, are, are totally despicable. And any any violence to another person, especially Latter Day Saints, because of their religion, is um, absolutely unacceptable. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a couple questions about this, Al. And that sure. were you pressured to go on your mission? Oh, I think there was definitely the expectation, and, and I could I can relate to the um, feeling that kind of expectation and. Uh, just that, hey, this is what you're going to do when you turn 19. Well, at the time, it was when I turned 19. Now it's, uh, you know, 18-year-old young men. Right. But uh, I, I felt the expectation, sure. Um, I, I At the time, I didn't resist it. So, right. I personally did not feel a lot of pressure. If you go back and listen to our uh, interviews on Patreon, you will realize that my father never pressured me to do anything in my entire life. He was a very, very libertine person. Uh, but do you think a Latter Day Saints in general uh, pressure uh, sons in particular to go on uh, missions, or is that an old trope and just a stereotype? Well, you, you know, Dives, and uh, this will kind of bleed over into our third episode of the um, Under the Banner of Heaven. Um, so I'll come back to this later, but I will say that not every family is the same and not every situation is the same. There are some fundamental differences. There are some kooks out there. Um, there's some extremists. There's some fundamentalists, uh, however you want to call it, radicalized people that have some pretty intense beliefs. And while the church may say certain things very fervently across the pulpit, um, not everybody takes that fervence to be so um, intense and literal. Does, does that make sense? Like, not not everybody believes that every young man really needs to go on a mission, even though that's what the church says from the pulpit, is every young man needs to be serving a mission. Um, but the, then you get people like this, like, hey, the church said every single young man needs well, to serve a mission, so you're going to serve a mission. <laughs> well, it kind of reminds me of the Brigham Young blood atonement stuff, where yeah. it appears that he was talking from a blustery kind of point of view and that it was maybe hyperbolic because it doesn't appear that anyone ever actually executed another person in the vein of fulfilling the, the so-called blood atonement, that someone who has committed unpardonable sins, the only way that they can atone for their own sins is to have a javelin put through them or to be executed. So mm -hmm. it sounds to me like you're saying that some things um, in the church are somewhat hyperbolic and sure. some people take them a little too seriously. And that's probably what happened with his father and his son is that he's taking the last general conference admonition from members of the first presidency who said, hey, yo, this is a priesthood responsibility he was taking that too far. Yeah, and it, that that's really seems what uh, to be what's going on here. Okay, it, let me just ask one last question before we wrap up on these hate crimes, and that's: should hate should people who perpetrate hate crimes be punished more for the same crimes from other people who did the same exact crime? But it wasn't related to hate. So, for instance, let's take the burning of the car. He put a burning rag into the gas tank, which eventually uh, caught the rest of the car on fire, and it uh, the car is a total loss. 
should someone who puts a, a rag, a flaming rag into a Mormon missionary's car, because that person is, is a Latter-day Saint, should he be punished more severely than someone else who put a gas a, a rag into a car just as a practical joke? Because that's what a hate crime says, is that it adds additional felonies and other triggers that makes the crime more serious. It, yeah. Should both of these be punished the same or should we be sending a message about these hate crimes saying, hey, yo, hate crimes are unacceptable. Uh, and so we're going to punish you more severely. It seems like most people that uh, commit a crime, especially a crime against another person, are committing the crime because they hate the person um, or at least are in deference of that person. They, they uh, don't really care about that person or how it, the crime may affect them. So when it comes to tagging on the hate on top of it, Dvays, I gotta tell you that it seems like it's just uh, redundant and at the same time it's going a, a step further where it's just like, well, now we're going to start patrolling people's thoughts and beliefs. Okay, it sounds like you're saying it's arrogant and unproductive. That's a that's a throwback to uh, one of our previous episodes, by the way. Uh, All right, episode four. <laughs> and I agree with you. I agree with you, Al. I, I don't. I don't think that there's a lot of evidence that shows that adding a hate crime designation to a particular punishment does much deterrence. It doesn't matter to me for the vast majority of crimes committed. Obviously, there can be exceptions. Let's say that you stole a loaf of bread because your kid is dying, yeah. uh, starving to death. That is yeah. different than just stealing a loaf of bread for kicks and giggles. So I think that they're the motive, which is also different than stealing a loaf of bread or destroying a Jewish bakery. Right. Yeah. OK, yeah. so there are some very few exceptions. But honestly, it does not matter to me a great deal if you shot your wife because you hated her or mm -hmm. you shot your wife because you thought it would be funny. I don't think it matters the reason that you shot your wife. And I don't think that one of those punishments should necessarily uh, one person should get the death penalty and the other person should only get life in prison. So I think that the motives for the mo vast majority of crimes are pretty irrelevant. So I, I honestly don't believe much in the concept of hate crimes with a very few exceptions. Yeah, I, I know that when it comes to like distinguishing between certain types of first degree and second degree murder, that that's uh, that's one of the things they go for is motive. But um you know, and, and also defining the difference between murder and manslaughter, say. Uh, but in a situation where it's like, say, assault, um, and regardless of whether a person of color is assault or is attacked because of the color of their skin or because of the fact that, um, you know, they mouthed off another person, you know, and uh, things escalate into a fistfight. Uh, well, you know, the assault still occurred. So it's not, it, to me, the fact that, you know, whether it was racially motivated, um, it seems like the, the, the punishment probably ought to be the same. Yeah, I guess I agree with what you said, especially with regards to murder, some charges of first degree, second degree manslaughter. I guess motive does come into the equation, maybe more than I'm allowing for. But I don't know. I just think that if someone uh, uh, someone destroys a car because they think it's funny or someone destroys mm -hmm. a car because it's a Mormon missionary, I honestly don't think there should be much difference in between the punishment, if any, between those two crimes. Yeah. I, and, I, you know, I don't think that this gentleman that commit that burned the missionary's car. I don't think he intended to kill 
anybody. I, I think he, I, I think he would not have that uh, goofy laugh looking on his face well, it took in as much time that when the missionaries was asleep in the back seat. It was. It took place at four o'clock in the morning, so yeah. it's pretty evident that he was um, uh, obviously the person's deranged, and we we condemn all of these uh, violent acts. It's just a thought process for me, uh, and I think that uh, your opinion has helped me shape that. So I'm going to continue to think. Of Next article is uh, by Common Consent: White Nationalism Meets Mormonism, and this was posted uh, by B. Hodges this last week. And this uh, particular tweet. Uh, from the BYU professor Hank Smith that made a lot of waves on Twitter this week when he approvingly retweeted a that connects Mormonism with white national ideology and bizarre conspiracy theories. So Smith here was retweeting a thread from Dan McKinley, which talked about uh, Mormonism being the ultimate secret and that uh, there's great secrets in the universe. And there's a number of really weird things that were tweeted out uh, where Dan calls Mormonism a quasi-universalist uh, and that uh, God chose the foolish things to con- uh, foolish things of wise. And eventually Hank Smith uh, eventually did walk it, walk it back a little bit where he said, have tweeted this but by the third tweet he was multiple multiple tweets from dan mckinley and this is the third tweet uh from dan mckinley that was echoed by hank smith and remember i was an instructor at byu for a number of years so i guess uh, i always look at these byu professor tweets very critically but dan mckinley is saying mormonism this is from his tweet that was retweeted by the byu professor mormonism is the inheritance of the ancient abrahamic fertility cult the Celtic Christianity of antiquity and the American Enlightenment. It is also the merger of the 13th line with the lost American Indians. And then he also follows it up with a final tweet that Joseph Smith is, quote, a direct descendant of Jesus Christ, his hmm. primordial Irish ancestors, and practiced a form of Christianity that was destroyed in Rome. He had a pure bloodline and simply said he had the divine right to the priesthood from primordial times. So this was all retweeted by a BYU professor um, Mm -hmm. with these bizarre, and there was a bunch of other bizarre conspiracy theories that were linked not only to Mormonism, but other things. Um, There was a a leaked document, Al, uh, you know, you live in Utah. There was a leaked document recently from uh, a state presidency that talked about why people were leaving the church. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, high or first on the list, and this was actually shocking to me, and I don't know the um, I don't know the, the truthfulness of it, but it said that QAnon conspiracy theories were the number one reason that people were leaving the church in that state. Are you seeing the, those kind of QAnon theories in Utah from uh, your neighbors and, and members of the church out there? Uh, you know, it, there's, you know, DVs, This is a this is a tough one. Okay, uh, and I'll I'll tell you why it's a tough one because. Um, I mean, if we're going to use a term, say, secret combinations, okay, and that's a term that every uh, LDS person ought to be familiar with, that's kind of how things like the QAnon conspiracies go, is you, I've been, I've been a, a party to several conversations with people that all of a sudden will start slipping in some QAnon conspiracies, and, you know, they start talking about things like being a prepper and, um, you know, making sure you got plenty of food storage, making sure you have plenty of ammunition and weapons and um, that you have like a bug out shelter. 
Uh, and, you know, the, these things can get rather bizarre. Um, now, I myself, in a situation like that, um, I would rather get more information than less. So rather than uh, point out how crazy these people sound, I actually try to uh, provoke more conversation and get them to open up and say, wow, so what kinds of weapons do you think I ought to be storing? Uh, how much food do you think it's going to take? And what do you think's going to be coming down that's going to cause the need for us to have all these preparations made? And see just how much I can, how much more information I can get from uh, people that have these conversations. Because, I mean, uh, it sounds real kooky, and I personally I think it is real kooky. But, that boy, there's lots of them out there. And I'm really astounded with the uh, prevalence of white supremacy, especially across, um, like, uh, northern Utah, going into Idaho. And, uh, well, I mean, shoot, the, um, uh, let's see, the, the Ruby Ridge incident back in 1990, I think it was, up in uh, northern Idaho. That was a fundamentalist group that was extremely white supremacist and, uh, you know, just full of all kinds of bizarre, weird hate and what we would call QAnon conspiracies. Uh, I think especially in the last year, um, ever since the church told people to start wearing masks or to start getting vaccinated, that's when that's where you get the QAnon conspiracies causing people to leave the church. Yes, it's it's yeah. it's amazing that something as simple as saying put a mask on and uh, vaccines work has yeah. been, and and that's what that leaked document from uh, said is that what what really bothers people is when their views of science, their scientific views or their own research seems to clash with church leaders' advice. Now, yeah. in this case, in this case, uh, from my perspective, it's very obvious that masks work. The science is very clear on this, and that vaccines yeah. cause adults. And that they're safe for the vast majority of the population. But what people have a problem is when their own scientific research seems to conflict with church leaders, that opens up a big chasm for people and can be a giant problem. And that's where these QAnon people come in. Now, who when I when I lived in Sandy, Utah, I had a neighbor across the street, really great guy, nice family. Unfortunately, sadly, he uh, died of skin cancer. One of the very few people, um, it, it 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 went to his brain and he died very suddenly. You know, skin wow, cancer. Sorry like, yeah, ninety nine percent of people, you know, skin cancer is no problem. He was one of the one percent. His wife was a very faithful member, and it turns out in the last little bit, she has subscribed to these QAnon theories and now has left the church and is living in an RV with her couple of kids. So, I mean, it can it can just attack or or you know, it can just you know happen to almost anyone. Yeah. So, you know, I look at these tweets from this BYU professor and you wonder how many it, it is not politically correct to come out and admit a lot of these QAnon conspiracy theories mm-hmm. to the public. But we know that a lot of people subscribe to these things. So when a BYU professor is tweeting that, I, I wonder to myself, you know, how many other BYU professors are there who believe in this white supremacy, this QAnon conspiracy theory stuff mm-hmm. that we don't know about? And I also wonder what is going to happen to this professor? He, he is. I know that it's like Donald Trump when he retweets something. Well, I didn't I didn't say that it was true. I just retweeted it. Yeah. As kind of a defense of saying, ha ha, I didn't say it was true. I'm just retweeting it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I got to point out here that the lang- some of the language of his tweet is very telling. I mean, when you start using terms like pure blood and true lineage and, uh, you know, uh, 
things like that, that that's QAnon code for, hey, you know, whites only. Yes, it is. And the FLDS church is whites only. And almost yeah. every Mormon offshoot is whites only. Let's let's say yeah. there's there's mm-hmm. any Mormon offshoot there. There's just and that's it all stems back to remember, you know, they believe up until Brigham Young and Brigham yeah. Young wasn't exactly um wasn't exactly big on diversity. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's not big on diversity. Um, so uh, was sticking on anything else on this one? Uh, we have another article that is sticking on BYU, unless you have anything else on this one. Um, no, I, I think let's go see what else is going on at BYU. Okay, so I, well, our next article is on BYU as well. It looks like Brad Wilcox is back in the news. And this is the article that's published on uh, May 5th, 2022, by Nate Carlisle from Fox 13, Salt Lake City. And the art, uh, title of the article is Fox 13 Investigates. LDS leader Brad Wilcox has been teaching Utah boys about puberty for decades. Hey, let's say, uh, is it me or does Brad Wilcox just love the spotlight, Al? He's a lot this year, that's for sure. Um, he's, he's made spotlights a, a few times over the past, but um, man, he's really on one this this year. <laughs> He, he seems to be uh, head of the class when it comes to uh, garnering uh, news articles. Now, uh, what Brad Wilcox has been doing at uh, Fox 13 News uh, from Salt Lake City, the local affiliate there, uh, did a, an, ex, an investigation into Brad Wilcox's maturation clinics. So he's been teaching in the public schools rooms full of fifth or sixth grade boys and attending parents about puberty. Since uh, like, you know, for like 25 years, all the way back to, I believe, like the late 1980s for 35 years, it says in the articles, even though, Al, I know this is going to come as a shock to you. He has no background in health whatsoever. Really? <laughs> I, I know that. I know that. I know that it comes as a big shock to you. But he's, uh, you know, his degrees are in leadership education. In fact, uh, Brad Wilcox is a general authority. He's part of the uh, general young men's presidency. He's also a professor of ancient scripture, which, by the way, you remember, I'm a former BYU instructor myself. When it comes to who gets approved for teaching ancient scripture at every other major university, including evangelical and other uh, universities, when someone is a professor of ancient scripture, they have degrees in Hebrew. They have degrees in uh, uh, theology. They have divinity degrees. They have real credentials that line up with someone actually being a professor of ancient scripture. Brad Wilcox doesn't have that. So Brad Wilcox. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it, it, it's rather remarkable that Brad Wilcox is a professor of ancient scripture, even though he's, uh, from my, my readings, a, a PhD in leadership administration, not qualified one for uh, teaching ancient scripture. He's teaching maturation cl- clinics, even though he uh, does not have a degree in health. And it all comes back to, you know, I used to be a uh, public school teacher in the state of Utah. In fact, I still have my credentials to the state of Utah. I have a level three license for teaching. I've taught elementary school, I've taught junior high, and I've taught high school. So I would say that, um, quite frankly, I have a lot more uh, uh, background and uh, credentials to teach a maturation clinic than Brad Wilcox does. And people are criticizing him. And in the article, they say, quote, I just don't think he has the specialized education and qualifications, end quote. Uh, And they say, I think that these classes should be taught by a qualified health professional. Um, is it a big deal if someone who's not a health professional teaches maturation classes, Al? Or am I am I uh, just getting worked up over nothing? You know, it, it's not about. Uh, I guess it's not about um, 
having like so much qualification. I mean, I, I would prefer that somebody at least took some sort of a course, got some sort of a certificate for taking a course in uh, teaching maturation. Um, I, I'd be okay with that, but I don't. I don't think. Uh, I mean, it, I might be wrong, and I, I really hope that we'll find out later uh, in the response to this that uh, Brad Wilcox has taken some sort of a course in how to teach maturation classes. Um, but no, I, I, I would expect a bit more. You know, I, I don't necessarily think somebody has to be a specialist in in health or anything, but they ought to at least you know have some sort of training. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe we don't know his full credentials and his full training. Maybe he's gone through courses on this and maybe he has certificates. I mean, this article doesn't, doesn't cover his entire history. Um, it's just kind of a surface level. So it's possible that he has those things and, and we just don't know it. Um, there's also in the state of Utah, there's, uh, there's some uneasiness among some of the parents for these students saying, you know, in Utah, we have troubles, uh, difficulties with separating church and state because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is so dominant. And here we have a general authority of the church in the public schools teaching children, uh, impressionable children. And some parents are saying, you know, um, maybe this should be a, a purely secular discussion that ha doesn't um, rely on one's religious uh, pedigree for uh, authority. I agree. Um, yeah, that's something that uh, I definitely think needs to be addressed. Uh, the The division between church and state is extremely thin and muddled. <laughs> you know, but that being said, just because somebody is a, a bishop or a state president or a general authority, that doesn't mean that they have no that they can't you know teach children at all. So I mean, it's a fine line. But I guess yeah. where the rubber meets the road for me is he has a 2017 YouTube video where he basically goes through the entire maturation clinic, which is about 60 minutes long. And he gets paid about $200 and he do, do, does these regularly. And mm -hmm. in that 2013 lecture, he references his book that he wrote in 2000. And his title of his book is called, quote, Growing Up. Gospel Answers About Maturation and Sex, end quote. And in the book, Wilcox writes that, quote, homosexuality goes against God's teaching and plan, end quote. And at the end of his 2017 maturation clinic, he references the book. So he's mm. telling children, hey, go, if you have more questions, go and check out my book, which is gospel-centered and um, tells people that homosexuality is against God's plan. Is, uh, is that appropriate, Al? Oh boy, yeah. See, that that's where I'm going to run into problems with uh, Mr. Wilcox being invited to teach at a public school, because um, not even even LDS people don't necessarily want the church to be part of every aspect of their lives, and this is something where um, you've got the predominant religion trying to enforce their spiritual beliefs on uh, people who may or may not be. LDS themselves. Yeah, so usually these maturation clinics, you know, I've been a public school teacher for many years. I can say that without question, they're taught by health professionals who yeah. do not have uh, any, any ulterior motive, mm -hmm. uh, any possible ulterior motive. When he, when a, some, a child comes up afterwards to talk to Brad Wilcox, which at the end of his lecture, he says, if you have any questions, come up and talk to me. And if that little boy comes up and says, you know, Mr. Wilcox, I think that I'm gay. 
And he says, well, I'm sorry, that's uh, against God's plan. Homosexuality is against God's teaching and plan. Go buy my book. Um, I think that a lot of parents are going to have an issue with that. So it, it's a very slippery slope. And I'm really mm -hmm. glad that Fox 13 brought this article to light uh, because it shows it shines a light that there is seems to be a gap in the particular maturation uh, certifications and in some of the transparency that is surrounds these issues. Certainly. Um, you know, Brad Wilcox, we would love to give him the benefit of the doubt, but there's, there are several things that are raised because of this. Well, I have a feeling I'm going to go, I'm going to, you know, we, we have prophets and seers and revelators at the head of the church, but I'm going to go ahead, and this is a very rare occasion for me, Val, but I'm going to go ahead and make my own prophecy here, okay? Um, since we don't have too many prophecies from uh, South Temple, I'm going to make one now. My prophecy is that this is not the last that you're going to hear of Brad Wilcox in the Mormon News Roundup. All right. And uh, according, to, <laughs> according to Deuteronomy 13, we will test your ability to prophesy. <laughs> well, it, it's always easy when you can control the outcome because I am, you know, we're, we're, we're controlling this podcast. So that's, uh -huh. that's, a, that's, a, that's a slam dunk. Easy, yeah. easy. Well, uh, we'll, we'll go easy on you, Dvays. If it doesn't come to pass, we won't put you to death. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Very well. Um, we've got three last articles here to go through. Uh, one yes. is from the Salt Lake Tribune. Can you talk? Uh, it talks about the church growth. Can you take a yeah. seat? This, this one is a, quite the interesting article, I find. Um, there's a lot of statistics in here, so I had to jot down a lot of notes while I was writing this uh, or while I was reading over this. Uh, Salt Lake Tribune, May 5th, 2022. Uh, the article is by David Noyce. And this falls under that Mormon land, okay? So um, the Salt Lake Tribune has a podcast called Mormon Land. Um, some of our listeners are probably aware of it. Um, so they'll do their podcast on this, um, but they also release an article about what their podcast subject is. So um, the article is very much worth reading. Um, and the article is titled, Church Membership Shrinks in 21 U.S. States, and we'll see which ones lost the most. So uh, the total members, as reported by the church, have been steadily growing, um, not exponentially growing like it uh, used to be, but it's still showing a steady upward turn. Um, you know, it's it's climbing about one but, about one percent growth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we're around one percent growth now. Uh, so even though the total members are still growing, uh, there's three charts there on the article um that are um the charts were made by the church this is what the church has released regarding its growth now uh the next one is the number of converts so the converts were growing for a little bit but then uh ever since 2010 which is what this uh shows you start to see a steady decline and um it's going down pretty quick in fact um it's it's a, a bit sharper decline than the church's growth rate, I would say, maybe twice as fast. Um, but that's just for the uh, for, for, uh, convert baptisms. So in the uh, the next one, we go over and see that we have the children of record. Now, we talked about this in last week's episode a little bit of where we thought that uh, children record was or the children of record. Uh, this is uh, babies 
that are uh, being given a name and a blessing in sacrament meeting and uh, thereby having their names added to the list or to the church's records. So that's been steadily declining until 2020, and then it dropped. And that wasn't much of a surprise. We talked about that last week. It wasn't too surprising to see a drop in the children of record. Um, But what was really interesting is seeing in 2021, where we thought that the, that it would, when they went back to doing in-person church and everybody started coming back from COVID, that it was going to jump back up. Well, it jumped up, but it only jumped up like, okay, so if, if I'm laying a, a ruler across this bar, it's holding pretty straight, going steadily downward by probably about the same rate that the church is decline uh, is uh, growing right that same one percent so then in 2020 uh, yeah 2020 you have a drop but in 2021 it hits about that same point where the ruler is laid across right so i mean you're you're still you're not lower than 2020 but you're uh, probably two notches lower than 2019 was for children of record so i thought that was really interesting to see that Yeah, they've got the article laid out pretty well. And uh, Mormon Land is a very good podcast without question. Um, I think that they cover a little bit more deep dives than we do. We like to uh, keep things uh, pretty surface level. So uh, it definitely is a good podcast if you um, are interested in in, um, a good good analysis of uh, what's happening with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's a great article. Um, There's two last articles that we're going to cover. And uh, number one is uh, somewhat... uh, Someone on Reddit put together a diagram of how many mentions President Nelson has received. Uh, actually, all the presidents of the church has received in general conference since 1985. Now, there is a website out there where you can search for terms uh, for the last, I think it's up from 1970 until now, for different terms to see how much they are in, uh, have, have been used in the general conferences going past. So somebody, somebody searched for President Monson. Search for President Hinckley, search for President Hunter, search for President Benson, and search for President Nelson to see how much they were mentioned in the general conferences for the last, uh, all the way back to about 1980. And as one would imagine, when a president of the church is still alive, he is mentioned quite a bit. Prior to when he is the president, he's mentioned less. And then after he passes away, he uh, is mentioned uh, much less. But they're talking about the average mentions of uh, the presence of the church in in any given general conference talk. And what this particular graphic, which was posted uh, two days ago by Naru Naru on uh, the R Mormon Reddit, that's the faithful Mormon Reddit sub, uh, subreddit there. It, t- it looks, it's incredible because President Nelson's mentions in general conference dwarf all of his predecessors. In fact, it maybe even dwarfs all of his predecessors combined. Latter-day Saints in general conference wow. are much more likely to mention President Nelson by name than any past previous prophets were, even when they were the prophets, by a factor of two in some cases. When it comes yep. to the mentions of President Hunter, it's a factor of five. And when it comes to the mention of other presidents, it's a factor of at least two. Um, oh my. Yeah, so... Uh, the, the more, you know, they're saying, you know, well, the more the more you tell people about the prophet, uh, 
You know, it's just amazing. Why do you think that President Nelson is getting so many more mentions than all of his predecessors, Al? Oh, I know that the church has really uh, been uh, banging on the drum of, hey, we have a living prophet on the earth today for ever since Joseph Smith. But boy, they're really banging this drum now. Um, It's very loud. It's deafening. This drum is getting really hit. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I I don't know. Are they, (laughs) I don't know if they're trying, who they're trying to convince. (laughs) Well, I haven't heard President Nelson say specifically, hey, I want to be mentioned in German conference. So no, he hasn't. And, you know, he, he seems like a fairly, I mean, he's, but not shy by any means, but he seems like a fairly reserved kind of guy. I, what, yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, he's not some egotistical maniac. So mm-hmm. wh- why is everybody mentioning him? And that's also along the lines of, you know, some of his favorite uh, pet phrases like myopic mm-hmm. or let God prevail or stay on the covenant path mm-hmm. or uh, let God prevail in our lives as we, as we try to stay on the covenant, covenant path. All of these little catchphrases of President Nelson are really creeping up in other people's talks as mm-hmm. kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like, in, like we have a couple of inside jokes in this podcast, but it's yeah. kind of like they have like inside jokes in general conference where you're really using President Nelson's language mm-hmm. and his own particular vernacular in your own talks in a way that we have not seen in the past. Yeah, I, I've... I've heard other people that would speculate, oh, this is just kissing up or sucking up to the prophet or the president of the church. I don't, I don't, maybe that's it, but I don't know. That doesn't really, that doesn't quite fit into the, that peg doesn't quite fit in that hole, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I just find it to be very interesting. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, watching this in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and see uh, how, how often people are mentioning President Nelson in the, in the talks coming up, because I find that to be very interesting. That does take us to our final article here, which is yeah. the third episode of Under the Banner of Heaven. Yeah, the third episode came out this week, uh, this last Thursday on Hulu, um, special original. Um, I guess it was uh, an FX uh, series, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so I watched it, and for all my uh, TBM uh friends out there i don't think you're gonna want to watch this episode uh and 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 i'll tell you why up front the temple um you know they they do their reenactment of uh some of the temple ceremonies um including uh some of the tokens signs uh they don't do the keywords but uh, you do see them making some uh arm gestures and you'll see them make some gestures that they don't make in the temple anymore. But these are uh, the penalties, the signs of the penalties from uh, pre-1990. Those penalties were removed from the temple um, uh, ceremonies. But we still uh, make some, a lot of the signs um, and, and things in the temple. Uh, not to get too, I, I don't want to be insensitive about it and talk too flippantly uh, and openly about it. I know that these are, these things are sacred to the LDS community, but yeah, yeah this, um, that being said, it's out there. Uh, if, if you want to see it, they do a really good job reenacting us. They, well, um, they, yeah. uh, they, well it, it's the Salt Lake temple, man. <laughs> I, I, I know I've been through the Salt Lake temple. Well, let, yeah. me, let me just, I do want to talk about that. I got a couple of things. I want to talk mm-hmm. about those, that specific temple, 
the temple scenes. I definitely yeah. want to talk about those, but l- let me just cover a couple of things first prior to lighting the groundwork. Cause that's obviously sure. some of the most important scenes. Yeah. First of all, when you tune in, uh, the under the banner of heaven, third episode, it's sponsored by Corona hard seltzer. Wait, <laughs> what, what is wrong with it? I told you that this, this series is slightly off. Yeah. Oh, are you sponsored by Corona? This is not <laughs> supposed to be sponsoring this. You've uh-huh. got your wires crossed. It's kind of like when I'm surfing the web and someone gives me an article for a Bud Light. Well, I've never had a Bud Light in my life. They've definitely got it wrong. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Th- they do better uh, with Martinelli's sparkling cider. Uh- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I, I, being a musician myself, Al, uh, from, uh, and semi-private musician, I pay attention to the musical scores. And this is not something that I've discussed in our prior episodes. But the musical <laughs> score in Under the Banner of Heaven is constantly and never-endingly creepy. It's yeah. internal. It's it's jarring. It puts mm-hmm. everything off. If you com- wiped out the score and put in a regular, I don't know, Forrest Gump type score, mm-hmm. you would yeah. have a completely different miniseries. So they're trying to make even the the most normal interactions seem unsettling and a little yeah. bit off. People are just you know praying over lemonade, but you have this creepy music in the background. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like, what are you trying to prove? I, yeah. I think they're trying to make Mormonism seem as weird as possible. Well, in th- this, uh, the article that I've read about this one, it's from Re- Religion Unplugged, uh, May 3rd, 2022, from Joseph Holmes. And Joseph Holmes is not enthralled with, the, uh, with this series at all. And that's one of the things he talks about. He's like, you know, they really harp on the weirdness of Mormons, Mormonism and, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way any fundamentalist or extremist group goes, uh, whether they're Mormon or from some other Christian sect. Um, it, it just anytime you get radicalized, you start to see some strange things. And let me tell you that this is uh, the episode where Rory, Rory Culkin, uh, who plays the brother Sam uh, in this, uh, Sam Lafferty, he really shines in this episode. <laughs> I think he does. He's uh, he is as creepy and as kooky and just as um, backwoods extremist fundamentalist as you can get. Uh, the guy's got the the long hair grown out. He's got his beard grown out and all scraggly. He looks like he's uh, a pioneer ready to go ca- cross the plains. His wife's wearing a prairie dress along with all of his kids, and you know he just they're holed up in this cabin. That's where the um, the FBI or not the FBI. This is the police catch him. And right. They haul him in to question him. And the whole time he's just spewing the jargon, uh, just talking in that holy, um, you know, very uh, prophetic talk. And it's just, it's eerie. It's creepy. And yeah, we get it, Mr. Black, you know, you're trying so hard to make it um, the Mormons out to be weird. But really, this could be, according to this article by Joseph Holmes, he's like, this could be anybody. It's kind of, he uh, considers it the same as, like, uh, God's Not Dead, the movie God's Not Dead, where you've got, you're not going to convince anybody with it. You're just out there saying, well, you know, the people who believe it are just going to believe so much stronger because of it, and those who don't believe it are just going to say yeah it's another uh, futile attempt at it yeah uh, let, let me let me jump in and say a couple of other my reflections yeah. on this episode mm-hmm. 
don't think that Garfield has the gravitas to uh, play a senior police detective. I, no. I just think that he is more of a junior. De- I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm ageist. Maybe he's not old enough. Maybe he doesn't have. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Fat enough. I don't know what it is. But he doesn't. He doesn't have to bring the gravitas of the role of being the senior detective in a police in a in a in a small police department. I'm, no, you, you get the feeling from his acting that um, the character Jeb um, Pyrie is kind of almost a rookie. Uh, yeah. You get at, at the very most, he's uh, he's just recently been promoted at no. the very most. But now, where I do think that the show shines is that Bill and, and Pyrie's relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the uh, strongest parts of the show because that seems very authentic. It, it is. Yeah. Really- it seems really good. In fact, I thought that maybe so far in the series that uh, Bill, uh, which is the other detective, which, um, mm-hmm. sorry, I forgot his name. Um, I, I, I forgot the name of the actor. He's a really excellent actor. Um, yeah, it seems like he's stealing the show. Yeah. You, you know, and it's as a supporting actor, boy, he's dynamic. He's yeah. really powerful. I think he is so far uh, a big bright light in what is, uh, from my opinion, somewhat of a dud so far. Now, I do want to co- talk about a couple of other things, and that's in the police interrogation after they uh, they capture the folks in, in the cabin. In the police interrogation in the back of the van, you hear this absolutely crazy fundamentalist LDS doctrine, mm-hmm. um, which is just juxtaposed to orthodox temple scenes. And there's yeah. no differentiation between the two. So it makes it sound like the person in the van who was captured is, is the same people who are in the temple. These are two totally radically different folks. Yeah. Even though we, uh, to be fair about it, they are the exact same people from the temple scene. Uh, it's, it, you know, this lady was in the temple in that scene. She was also in the back of the van doing the interrogation. Um, but she's, yeah, boy, it's just, you know, this is, uh, I guess this is another way of showing that the Lafferty's were really uh, radicalized and they kind of got out there on the fringe. Um, so, yeah, a lot of um, well, anybody that's like a, a current Latter day Saint is going to say, this is just not Mormonism. I mean, you, you mentioned it last week. You grew up in uh, Salt Lake, and that's not how Salt Lake City 1980s Mormonism was. Now, so but it, this is this is probably exactly how the Lafferty's were. I, I, I agree with that, but there's just I agree, but the show yeah. just uh, falls miserably short of distinguishing between fundamentalism mm-hmm. and orthodoxy. And, well, and, and, and the, well, they keep divas. They keep going back in time and showing you things from like Kirtland and Nauvoo and Missouri. Um, this one, they they heavily hit on the Hans Mill massacre. And, yeah. The way that it's laid out, I don't. I, I, I guess I need to go and see what Hans Mill actually looks like or what it looked like. But it seems like the way that they've laid this one out, um, you got a bunch of Mormons just minding their own business um, in a place that I don't. I didn't see a mill anywhere. I'll tell you that. Um, but there's a big log cabin that's, uh, and this thing's huge. I mean, if this is supposed to be a blacksmith shop, this is humongous. Uh, but it's the, as far as I recall from the history of it, the blacksmith shop was supposed to be a fairly small little cabin, um, and it was a log cabin. They had uh, spaces between big gaps between the logs. They hadn't uh, puttied it in with mortar or uh, or pitch or anything to seal it up from the elements. But it's just 
that's where the men, uh, the Mormon, uh, or yeah, the Mormon men held up with their uh, guns and they fought off or they fought this uh, mob, this militia that came after them. Right. I, you know, I, I, the Hans Mill scene, from my perspective, the Hans Mill scene, scene seemed pretty accurate, except for one thing, and that this was part of the Mormon War. So the, yeah. they were minding their own business. There had been quite a bit antagonizing between the folks in this community and others. Obviously, that doesn't mean that they deserve to be slaughtered. But, no. uh, but I didn't see a single uh, I, I don't recall seeing a single uh, weapon on the uh, Mormon side in this. Yes. And that doesn't seem to be very accurate. Um, there's a couple of other last things uh, on this, and that's there's some errors. I know this is pre-1990, the temple scene, which is obviously the most controversial scene. And remember, Dustin Lance Black also put a temple scene into his HBO Big Love series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the people in Big Love, uh, you're a polygamist, but you're still going into a regular LDS temple. That just does not happen. But let's just did, leave did, that did, did you watch Big Love, Divas? I did not watch every episode. No, I watched a couple episodes. So the, uh, I'll, I'll explain why they did it in Big Love. Um, the the lady who um, was a polygamist that her um, her family was not polygamist. Her family was uh, mainstream LDS. Um, they wanted her to go to the temple with them, um, and so okay, and so she got reinvolved with the LDS church, the mainstream LDS church, even though she was still married to a polygamist. And so that's why they had, they had that scene. It didn't really fit in. And of course, you know, she still stayed polygamist throughout the whole process, but yeah, it was, they, they, they kind of shoehorned it in. I, I it wasn't, uh, <laughs> I, I, it was, it was there just to be provocative and, and to, but- to get attention. That's what Dustin Lance Black is famous for. So yeah. in this particular scene, um, they recreated the Salt Lake Temple, the uh, T-Lestral Room. And yeah. I thought they recreated the actual uh, space very accurately. Um, Absolutely. I read an article that said that they spent over $800,000 on that scene because these temples are very expensive mm-hmm. and are built with, you know, really lavish materials. And to do it justice, they had to spend a lot of money, even though it's only a facade in yeah. making look appropriate so i thought that they got the scenery and everything correct because obviously i've gone through the salt lake temple gone through the telestral room mm-hmm. and it'll be very accurate from that perspective now yeah. they're doing rituals that is a pre as you mentioned pre-1990s uh, ceremony mm-hmm. rituals but they didn't get it right they didn't get it all right so in some of the motions your your right thumb is supposed to be extended while well, her right thumb was not extended and in mm-hmm. another one of her uh, motions the left hand was supposed to uh, be slightly different she was making almost an okay symbol with her left hand that's yeah. not appropriate it was supposed to be a slightly different symbol so it's like they're getting things close but they're yeah. getting things a hundred percent accurate and um that is not a surprise to me and, you know i think that's probably by design and and, and i'll say why i think it's by design because you're going to want uh to they're, they're trying to poke the snake <laughs> they want uh, lds people that really uh, love the temple and believe in the temple to fight back against it and say, that's not how it goes. Just like you pointed out, like, Oh, there's, you know, some little pieces here and there. And so people that uh, have never been through the temple that may be having this conversation with a a Mormon or an LDS uh, member is going, or they're going to say, well, you know, what what about this? What about that? And they're going to say, no, it's not like that. And they're saying, well, what is it like? So then it puts the, the, uh, 
LDS person in a very precarious situation, then they have to say, well, what? It's sacred. I can't talk about that. Yeah. I, I, it's it's sneaky. I'll tell them that. <laughs> well, as we've noted in previous episodes, I guess we'll continue to talk about it. Dustin Lance Black likes to stir up controversy. Mm-hmm. Accuracy is definitely not his number one goal. No. Uh, but i'll tell you they really they strive for a lot of accuracy with the way that they've put uh some things together the murals on the wall uh my goodness uh yeah the salt lake temples uh walls are covered in murals especially in the telestial and terrestrial room yeah very Um, very accurate that's why he said that it costs over a hundred thousand dollars for that scene alone yeah i'm sure because it's not something that it's not like you just print off a uh uh what uh (laughs) some sort of a, a wall label and uh slap it on there no this is i'm pretty sure they had to paint it yeah and we're definitely with that with a set costing that much money we are definitely going to be revisiting in the future episodes these Mm -hmm. the future because they didn't spend a hundred thousand dollars for four minutes in episode three we're just for sure coming back to that room in future episodes i am sure yeah um so yeah it's um I don't know. I guess uh, people have opinions on on both sides of this. Some people are really like, oh, well, that's exactly how it was. Other people, no, not quite, not really, not so much. Um, But uh, it's one thing that the LDS people are really going to be bothered by, I think. And uh, it's going to be something that's similar to like, okay, well, the the whole theme of it is that uh, the LDS church has a very violent history. Well, this is also part of LDS history, but it's also 40 years ago, right, Bebe's? So, right. yeah, we're, we're looking at, uh, th- this is also part of pretty far back history. So uh, you're going to have a hard time saying, well, the LDS church is a violent uh, religion. Um, you know, I guess you're going to have, if you're going to justify saying that it still is, you're going to have to use something a little more recent, maybe like church basketball games. Uh, (laughs) but yeah i i don't uh i mean sure uh but at the same time i think that uh, lds people do need to understand that you know with regards to the uh, mountain meadows and uh, the mormon war in missouri and uh you know even the blood atonement uh, concepts and uh the old temple rituals uh yeah there's a lot of violence in LDS history sure well, I think I think that just like the Brigham Young's uh, controversial blood atonement statements, mm-hmm. I think the temple rituals, especially, I know they reformed them and removed a lot of the uh, a lot of the more gory details uh, in today's uh, temple experience. But mm-hmm. there's no evidence that anyone who divulged the science tokens and other things actually experienced the penalties that yeah. uh, that were promised in the temple. That seems to be more. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it bluster or over the top rhetoric. No one yeah. actually had their throat slit or their bowels uh, were disemboweled for revealing Latter-day Saint mm-hmm. secrets, um, to my knowledge. Yeah, I mean, there, Utah has plenty of blood in its past. There's there's plenty of uh, other t- instances where you've got like young men being run off because the bishop wanted to marry uh, some guy's sweetheart. Um, you know, but you don't have you don't need to invent uh different things or going uh say stuff that wasn't based in fact yeah yeah very well. i think we covered it all uh we think so uh, that's uh we've 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 ruminated as much as we possibly can about the great and spacious beehive this week mm-hmm. 
And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on things uh, in the future. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and uh, join us again next week. Yep, we'll see you then. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.